Steve and I have been talking, and uh, recently I said to Steve, or Steve had talked to me about a year ago, could he take a sabbatical? He'd never had a sabbatical in all of his ministry, and he had come to work with Matthew. I'd actually invited him to come as the professor that would lead our practicum at the university where we would train our ministry and psychology students in hospital uh, care of patients and their families. And uh, I just reached out last night. I texted the person. Steve came in 2004, and the first graduate of our 2004 class is now the teacher of this practicum. Steve has gone to be become the VP of advancement. So the first graduate now is teaching students that are coming in. And uh, I asked Justin last night, Justin Key, some of you have had Justin up here on a Wednesday night or uh, in Dr. Sanders' class that follows this. He said that we have now graduated 250 of our students, and our students have served at Midwest Regional Hospital, and then they do a, a level two practicum at the OU Medical Center where they, they are trained in trauma care and pediatric care. They've made over 28,000 patient, family, and staff visits. And so this is part of what Steve has, has done for our university. But he was also teaching. He was teaching. He has a master's degree in music, and he was teaching. And he was about ready to take a sabbatical to write down what he knows and has taught others about pastoral care. You know, at one time, he was the minister over pastoral care here at Crossings. And I thought I was in big trouble with Marty when, when, when I invited him to come on board. And uh, but Marty was celebrated that, Steve, Stephen Ministries, he's been a big part of that in the training. So he's got all this in his head and on uh, notes here. And I said, you need to write this down and put it in a book. And so what he's going to be doing over the next 10 weeks, he's going to be writing this book, sometimes writing a few hours in the morning, and then just resting. I've really tried to get him to rest. He'll be back maybe once a month in our class, but he's trying to get this down to where um, he can share it with other people and with students. So that's where Steve is. Next week, Paul Burson is going to be teaching, and I enjoyed Paul so very much when he taught a few weeks ago. And so Steve's got some uh, substitutes. I don't know why he punished you with me this morning uh, teaching the, the leadoff, but I think it was because he wasn't going to do it unless I said I would do this one and explain to, to the class why he's going because you know how he loves you and how he that's the hardest thing for him to say no to anything. And he just wanted to be here every Sunday. I said, hey, you can't do that and get rest. And my wife said, you can't tell Steve that. I said, sure I can. <laughs> I said, you're trying to help a person to rest. And, th and that's what he's, he's doing. So let's get into our lesson today because I've already uh, missed 10 minutes of mine. And I know when I ask you when we've got to be out, we've got to be out. I mean, you're going to leave me mentally if you don't physically. So let me ask you a question. What do you think of, what comes to mind when you hear the word church? You have to speak up. I'm getting a little older all the time. Bride of Christ. Bride of Christ. Fellowship. Fellowship. Family. Family. Teaching and worship. Teaching and worship. Body. The body. A building. I was hoping somebody would say that. All of you were getting real spiritual on me, and I was hoping somebody would just say, 
a, a physical building because that's what comes to my mind too uh, on that. So what I want us to look at today is about the church. Who and what is the church? Because I don't know about you, but on Facebook, I get all these posts, and many times it's ministers. They're saying, well, the millennials aren't going to church anymore, or seven ways you can tell if your church is dying. And I get these, you know, and then somebody shares it, and it just goes on Facebook, and I'm thinking, these are Christian people that are sharing negatively about the future of the church. But the church is alive and well if you understand who and what the church is. And so I want us to look today uh, at a passage of Scripture. I want you to turn to Matthew 13 here, verse 24 through 30. I, I think, uh, Steve Blair, you have the gift, the spiritual gift of reading in a classroom. and We've identified that. I'm going to have you read this, and then we're going to look at the passage where um, Jesus in, interprets this. All right, now when we're studying passages, it's always good for us to look at the, the passage in its context. What, what comes before it? What comes afterwards? And really in our Bibles, the chapters and the verses in our Bibles were never there in the original manuscripts. In fact, they don't even appear until the Middle Ages when a, when a French printer began to try to figure out how to locate uh, certain books and, and the verses of books about the 1500s did we begin to have chapter and verses in our scriptures. So it's very important sometimes to read and, and, and figure out what, what's going on around this passage. Was there something being taught before I get to this passage? Is there something being taught after this passage? We call this the context of a, of a passage. So let's Let's just look at your Bibles for a moment, and let me point out something. Here in Matthew 13, 1 through 23, there is the parable of the sower. Sometimes scholars say it really should be the parable of the soils. For the sower sows the same seed in, in four categories. It's only one that really it bears fruit. And it's the soil of the heart, and the seed there is talked of, the good news or the, the gospel. And then you have our passage here, which is called the parable of the wheat or the tares in some headings, uh, and more common instead of tares, weeds. And then after this passage that we study is the parable of the mustard seed. Now, now think there is a theme going on the word seed. What is the seed? And, and the seed really becomes 
uh, a, a, a key point in this because Matthew has arranged chapter 13 to be the teachings of Jesus on the kingdom. The, the gospel writers, the reason you don't have the identical ways in each chapter that things unfold is that the Holy Spirit caused these writers to write down and, and compile their books to, to proclaim a certain thing. And, and Matthew is portraying Jesus as the servant king, the Messiah of Israel. And so he, here is the Messiah who is coming and he's sowing seed the good news of the gospel. And we're going to be looking at the kingdom. This is a, the book of, a, of the teachings on the kingdom. Now, the kingdom is the rule of God. And so, who are those that have the rule of God upon them? Now, Steve, I want you then, the disciples, they hear the teaching, but then they want Jesus to interpret it for them. And so, it almost becomes an allegory. The difference between a parable and an allegory in your Bibles of literary style is a parable usually is teaching one main point, and there's no explanation given. An allegory gives you the explanation of the story. And so Jesus gives the explanation. Steve, would you read, begin with verse uh, 36 and read through 43? Now, here's the interpretation of this parable. Now, in the parable, who is the sower? You're half right. That's part of the answer. Who is the sower? Jesus is, is right, but there's another sower. The devil. I use the singular on purpose. There are sowers in this parable. The Son of Man is the sower of the good seed, and the field is the world. Now there's two kinds of plants that come up. Jesus says that in this world there is the good seed, the sons of the kingdom, those whose lives have been brought under the rule of God. And he says in this world there is bad seed, the weeds, the son, as he puts it, of the evil one. Now, in our culture, this is a very harsh teaching. 
Because in our culture, we don't want absolutes. You know, we don't want either good seed or bad seed. We, we want to be able, because of our relationships and our feelings toward people and our friendships, we want to say, well, it's not black and white. It, there's, there's, there's gray. And, you know, this is 2018, and, and, you know, I know that the church used to say that this wasn't the right lifestyle or this wasn't the right belief, but this is 2018. I, has anybody else had that said to them lately? Because I, I get it all the time. Jesus says this, if a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus is saying, if you love me, then you're going to love the word of God, and you're going to honor it. And you're going to say, my thinking about lifestyles, my thinking about relationships, my thinking about values, I'm going to take this as the foundation of my belief system. Because the moment we don't take this as his word binding upon us, Jesus says, we don't love him. And yet... If, if Jesus were teaching this parable today, there would be, you'd, you'd see social media explode. How could you be so narrow-minded as to say there's one or the other? Now, what is so disturbing to these ser servants? Look back here around verse 27. What bothers these servants? Yeah, the, the weeds. You know, they, they said, this is the good sower. He sowed wheat, and we go out here, and guess what? There's weeds. And there's a shock here. There's, there's almost like a, a disillusionment. You know, um, you ever get wrestling with those questions of why the presence of evil? Why these school shootings? You know, why sex trafficking? Why the drug use epidemic? We believe in a good God. Why is the presence of evil? Now, this isn't going to answer all of those questions, but Jesus uses, when he uses this word weed, he uses literally the word darnell. And darnell was a, a plant that would come up and look exactly like wheat. And it would... It would grow and it would even head up like wheat. But in the end, you couldn't, you couldn't tell the difference till you went to harvest it. And Darnell was poisonous if you ate it. Now, somebody, one time I was teaching on this uh, parable and somebody said, you know, in Kansas, the farmers call that weed cheat. Have any of you ever heard of cheat? <laughs> well, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about wheat and cheat. And sometimes people get disappointed when, when they go to a, a meeting of the, quote, church, and instead of wheat, they get a good dose of cheat. <laughs> is this being taped? Is, it, is this being taped? Did you hit the record button? 
Well, I just thought you were joking. Uh, you know, this, this may shock you, but we're, we're constantly looking about retention and we're following up after our students graduate. Do you know what the uh, studies are showing of the younger age that are graduating with ministry degrees, how long they stick with a ministry? Five years. That's some studies. Now I'll just say the study that was done, that showed that of those that were polled in that particular study, none of them were in the ministry after five years. Now I'm sure there's longer. I know there's longer because some of our graduates I know are, are staying long-term in ministry. But part of the challenge that they have is that they go out with an idealistic mindset that the pulpit committee that called them really does have the same passion they have for the lost. And once they get to the church, they discover that a lot of people don't have much passion at all. And they're preaching their hearts out and they're looking sometimes at congregations that look back at them and they say, and, and they go to board meetings and they find that the board might be made up of wheat and weeds. And they're not, they're not listening to what Jesus is teaching here. I, I remember I served on a number of credentials committees when I was pastoring. Now, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but it, it is true to credential meetings, I will tell you that. So this young man came before the credentials committee, and they were, you know, quizzing him about doctrine. And it came up that he did not believe in a personal devil. And so they dismissed him, and they began to talk among themselves. And, and the other minister said, well, we can't license this young man. He said he doesn't even believe what Jesus teaches. Jesus said that he believed there was a devil. And, and they said, there's no way we can license. The oldest man there, older minister, said, you know what? I think we ought to license him, send him out. They said, how can you possibly recommend that? The young man doesn't even believe in a devil. He said, let's license him, send him out to a local church. And in 30 days... He will believe in the devil. <laughs> and he will even call some by name. <laughs> now, I, I will, in all fairness to those that aren't ministers, there's some ministers that can make life miserable for congregations too. But what they expected wheat, there was a whole bunch of cheat. And there's a vast difference. Here is a point that I want to drive home here this morning. And that is there is a vast difference between a congregation and the church. And if we don't understand that, then sometimes all the criticism that's being heaped upon the church is unfair and unfounded. The definition of a congregation is a gathering of wheat and weeds. And listen, that's a good thing. Can you... Can you imagine how miraculous it is for a person who does not know the Lord to come to a Sunday school class where they may not know the Bible at all and they don't know what you do and they're scared to death that you're going to call on them to read? You know what kind of courage it takes to go to church when you don't know someone or your life is kind of messed up and, and you're wondering how you're going to be treated because some people there might know your past or might know your situations. I hope we always 
always are, are, are looking for friends to bring with us who don't know the Lord. That it should be a congregation, should be a gathering of wheat and weeds. I'll give you a good example. We have a, a adult working adult classes that meet one night a week on our campus, on our, our south campus. And uh, my son was in this. He was taking a management of information degree program. And all of our, work, uh, all of our adults uh, take 12 hours of Christian education as part of their, their degree program. So they'll take you know, classes like the life and teachings of Jesus or the life and teachings of Paul. We always do the book of Romans because that was uh, it's a great evangelistic book as well as a, a good strong doctrinal book of Paul's teaching. And, and so I think it was the life and teachings of Jesus. And my son looked over, and I'll just call him John. He looked over at John, and he noticed that here we were starting the first lesson in this series, and John didn't have a Bible. And so my son asked him at break time, because they take a, they're there about three hours, take a break in the middle, and he said, John, he said, I noticed that you didn't have a Bible. He says, do you own a Bible? And he said, no, I don't really own a Bible. And my son said, well, I'll get you a Bible. I'll have it here next week, or I'll drop it off before class. He said, I'll just bring it next week. So my son did it. And then as my son kept talking to him and kind of trying to figure out uh, what his background was, he learned that John was uh, living with his girlfriend, and his life had a lot of what the Bible would call sins, and he didn't uh, know the Lord, and John is saying he's gone to a Christian university. Why in the world let impressed him to enroll here? So he said, John, tell me, why did you come to Mid-America Christian University? And John says, well, you know what? I've been thinking lately. I, I would like to know God. But how do you go about it? I don't have a clue. And I thought, well, I want to try to get a degree, but I want to find God, too. So I got to thinking, Jonathan, Mid-America Christian. You, you Christians ought to be able to tell me something about God. You know? And, and uh, Jeff, as a trustee, has heard me say this before. This is the exciting thing. I do not want a campus of just wheat. Now, I want the weeds to live by the Christian environment and our standards of conduct on our campus. But I want us always to be reaching people, helping people to understand in a safe setting what it is to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And there's a vast difference. And I think that people need to understand that when we talk about the church, a lot of times we're talking about congregations, and when they see people that are obviously not Christians or follower, devoted followers of Jesus, then they think, well, that church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. No, it's just filled with some weeds. Just some weeds. I even had one family member one time that was coming uh, to the church, and I, I went to see them and asked them why, why they were attending. I thought they were going to say, well, you... It's your great sermons. And um, they didn't even say anything of that. I, I had a default. They were going to say, well, it's great singing, because we did have some great singers. They didn't say that. They said that through the years, they attended a number of churches. And when they came here, they saw a number of people they attended church with. And they said, and they were getting along. 
And we figured out if these people that we know could be in this church showing respect for one another and loving one another, then the Holy Spirit must be doing something here. Now, you know, people struggle with this. We've had enough slanders, and we've had enough scandals, and we've had enough people saying that the church isn't appealing to millennials. You know what millennials are looking for? They're looking for genuineness. Because they've believed, a lot of their beliefs have just been trashed. A lot of the relationships have been, promises have been broken. They're skeptical. They're looking for wheat. And the church is about wheat. Look here. In the scriptures, believers are not said to go to church. They are said that they are the church, to be the church. That is what the church is. People who have experienced Jesus Christ. They didn't even have buildings until the, about the end of the second century did Christians have what was called a church building. They rented some places in the book of Acts. They met it in, in house churches. But there wasn't a church building like we have at Crossings or where you grew up in, in your, your town. Look what the scripture says here in 1 Corinthians 3.9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Who's he talking to? The, the pronoun used in the plural. He's talking about the Christians he was talking to who lived at Corinth. Look here later on in that chapter where we usually interpret this individually. Again, the pronouns are plural. Do you not know that your body, the gathering of the believers there in Corinth, is a temple in the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You all, if I could use the southern expression here of Paul, you all are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. And look here at what Peter says. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual house. The church may meet in a building. And we often say, well, I'm going to go to church. Or I'm going to go to church, I'm going to go to the later service. But that's not really what the scriptures describe as the church. The church are those who have come by faith in Jesus Christ and by the cleansing work of his blood atonement into a relationship with God. And God has taken each of us and put us into his body, the church. Jesus said he had one flock, and they weren't just from Jewish backgrounds. They would be from Gentile backgrounds, and he would bring them together. You know that the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia to mean to be called out to an assembly. Now think with me for a moment. Every person that had the relationship with God in the Old Testament had this called out relationship. You remember Abraham in Genesis 12? He was living in Iran and God calls him out to go to a place. He didn't know where he was going to end up, but he, he was called to be to following God. And then there was Moses in the Midianite desert, and God calls him out of there and sends him back to Egypt. And in Egypt, the Israelites are called out of bondage to go into the promised land. It is always so. God's church, God's people, are those who have been called out of something into something. And one of my favorite passages in the scripture is where Paul talks about Jesus. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. 
and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And look here, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and he is the head. Now, I know there's many denominational heads, and there's many papal heads, and all sorts of heads, but it says Christ is the head of the church, and we, his followers, are the body. We've been translated and put into it by, by faith in him. Um, let me just jump with three minutes. You told me I only have three minutes left, and I'm going to jump over some stuff here. Well, let, let, me, let me do this one. Peter talking, now this, these are the same words that were used of the nation Israel in the Old Testament. Peter uses them for the church in the New Testament. And notice what he said. Once you were not a people, but he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, here's the other point that I have in three minutes to unpack, and I'm not going to unpack it very much. But we've got to stop blaming the church for the spread of evil. The church restrains evil. Think of what a, a, a community would be like if there were not churches. Think what our nation has been since we moved away more, more and more away from prayer at events. Not just prayer in school, but I mean events, sports things, even, even national things that sometimes prayer is, is uh, not really through the name of Christ any longer. Think, think of the spread of evil in our time. Is it the church's fault? Well, let me ask you this. When Noah was building the ark and he was nailing the boards or, or putting pegs in the boards and the pitch and everything, did God say, Noah, you know why this is all happening? It's because you didn't win this community to Christ. No, he said, you need to go into the ark. And the message apparently came to all the world, but men's hearts were evil. Did, did the sower, uh, did the master of this field say to his servants, you know why these weeds are there? Because you guys weren't out pulling enough weeds. No, he didn't say that. He said there is an evil one. And we must be very conscious of that. The wheat is growing, but what also is growing? The weeds and it will be so until the end of the world when Jesus shall come again and judge the righteous and the unrighteous. Separate the wheat from the weeds. In fact, in the, in the New Testament, John would say, my friends, there's, there's false prophets that are going to come out and they're even going to be wearing sheep's clothing. They're going to tell you they're wheat, but they're going to be weeds. Diotrephes in the local church, he was a church boss. Sometimes weeds get into congregational leadership. It just happens. There's Peter that was talking in his day about the false teachers that would be among you. There was Timothy that said, you know, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, said, it is those who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of life. Let's help people... When they begin to get down on the church, let's take just a few moments and explain to them who and what the church is. Because when you take the Bible and you talk about people who are once in darkness, bound in sins, who have been liberated and brought into the light, they've been, become a new creation. They're not what they used to be. 
They've been transformed by Jesus Christ. And, and they didn't do it on their own. It wasn't by church membership that this translation came. It was a heart relationship with Christ that makes them a living stone in the temple of God. And let's tell people, you know, there's a big difference between a congregation and a church. And let's keep in front of us always. You know, we've had a royal wedding. Everybody's been watching TV of the royal wedding. There is a great wedding coming of the bride of Christ, of his people, of a harvest that the sower will send out his servants, the angels, and reap. And then he says, we will sit together in the Thanksgiving Day celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Don't, don't let weeds get you down. And don't let weeds color your life. God has a church, a bride of Christ, that is pure and righteous. Don't mistake weeds for wheat. Have a good week.